Kia ora koutou. welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Verity Johnson and Chris Wikaida with me this afternoon. Now some traffic. There was a truck breakdown on the Hibiscus Coast Highway. That has been cleared, but do expect delays as congestion eases through the area due to that incident. And also, this is um, up to four, this is from 3.55pm. State Highway 24 remains closed between uh, Te Poi Road and Matamata due to a prior crash. Follow the detour and expect delays uh, and light vehicles use Tepoi Road then on to State Highway 29 then State Highway 27 and State Highway 1 Walkworth to Wellsford closed tonight. First up, a government report has for the first time identified dozens of communities at serious risk of flooding and totally unprepared for it. It also examined the risk nationwide and identified 44 communities in the same boat. Westport's one hit by devastating flooding last year. The report found it was extremely vulnerable to flooding with little protection in place to prevent it. And because of the low median household income, the local authorities can't fund the work needed to protect the town through rates. This issue will impact hundreds of thousands of Kiwis living in flood risk areas. And that also includes the district of Tarafati. And on that, Mayor of Gisborne, Rahit Holtz, sorry, Rahit Stoltz is with us. Kia ora, Rahit. Kia ora. The report paints a pretty grim picture, but not unexpected. No, and this report is correct in terms of our high socioeconomic vulnerability. We've seen in the past three years um, exposure to flood hazard here um, is higher. We know that we have funding constraints. We know that we are planning some flooding infrastructure, but we need more. So it is good to see that DIA have validated what we have been saying for quite some time. Yeah, I understand you have in the long-term council plan, you've got something in the way of flood protection. What do you have? the Y Power Flood Protection Scheme, which protect our fertile soils um, to the west of Gisborne and, and also Gisborne City. Then we've got the Waiapu Flood Protection Schemes around Ruatoria. But what this report has highlighted is that nearly every single of our townships north of Gisborne will need some sort of flood protection as climate change are just making those flood events more and more frequent. And I guess uh, the, the trick is, uh, what, what do you got? You've got places like yeah, yeah, uh, uh, tu, uh, Tuparoa, uh, Wharepanga, uh, Tokamaru Bay, Tolaga Bay, places like that. It can't all come down to rates, can it? Absolutely not. We are not able to afford this on our own. And we mm. have continually lo- lobbied. In the last three years, you have seen the events that came our way. We've yeah. lobbied the government as well as our crown entities like Wakakotahi, um, to recognise the significance where we have high flood exposure but a limited ability to pay and we are imploring them to think about how we ensure funding for infrastructure and recovery from these events going forward is equitable. Such a big issue, Verity, and this is just one of 44 areas that uh, are going to be uh, facing this type of thing in the future, uh, indeed now. Well, I think what the report really impressed on me was that there is just so little preparation, also like so little um, 
resource available at the moment. I mean, this just seems to be a giant blank space where everyone's kind of like, oh, this is bad. And yet it's not as though climate change is unexpected. I mean, I'm interested, like, Rahet, is there anything you know about nationally in terms of, like, national funding for regions in New Zealand like Gisborne and Tairawhiti, which will be more exposed than, let's say, you know, central Auckland? Yes. So in the last while, because we are well aware what has been coming our way, we've seen it in the last two, three, ten-year plans. So we've also commissioned our own Tonkin-Taylor report to take a look at Tairawhiti-specific mitigation measures. But then just to add to that, we are all part of the regional sector. So the regional councils, as well as the unitary councils like Gisborne, we put a case forward last year for a co-funding investment to the government to look at flood control. And some funding was provided, that was in 2020, but so much more needs to be done by the regional sector to ensure we get that funding where it is needed. The national funding, because to be fair, this is a Tairawhiti issue, but this is going to be a national issue. Yes, Chris Wikaira. Oh, I feel for my um, my friends who are coasties, you know, and particularly in the yeah. Atipuro area from Gisborne North. You only have to look at State Highway 35 um, and, and go around right. the coast. It's a, it's a hell of a drive these days. The roads in a terrible state, and a lot of that's because of these big rain events that just keep happening one after the other. Um, and I know that the the people up there are already concerned about. You know, mm. resilience of their communities and and this just feels like an add-on to the issues that we've been seeing here in the likes of, of, of Wellington that people have known I mean the Wellington City Council was told in 1995 that it needed to start putting away extra money for um, ageing water and sewerage systems that never really got done and now we've had sewerage in the streets we've you know, had, had flooding in, in places you see, I mean Cyclone Bowler was the biggest warning I think for the whole of the coast and that was back in 1986 um, yeah. but this disconnect between what we know is coming and what can happen and what has been done to deal with it just does my head in Rehead? Yes, as I've said before, we have seen a disproportionate amount of those events coming our way in the last, just even in the last three years. Mm. So we have had some planning going forward, but what we have identified is that climate change is a national issue. Uh, communities like us, like you just said, um, State Highway 35 and all those, Tukumaru Bay, uh, all those areas that we have seen getting flooding in the last three years, the ability to pay is is not huge. So what we need is the government to talk to us and we with them to see how we put the equity lens over that and make sure those communities are also safe from climate change, which is a national, an international issue. Very good. Rahit Stoltz there, uh, Mayor of Gisborne. Kia ora. Uh, and listen to that is Associate Professor Ivan Diaz-Rani from uh, the University of Otago. Uh, uh, Dr Diaz-Rani, kia ora. And look at the real estate. I mean, a lot of the nation's wealth is locked up in real estate. And I can imagine there would be a good percentage of that stock built on areas that are flood prone. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, as part of our project, uh, that's one of the things uh, that we're looking at. I think one thing to bear in mind here is that there's many different hazards, right? So there might just be sea level, there's a fluvial and there's a pluvial effect. So, um, you know, there are many, many different forms of flooding. So coming up with one number is, is not straightforward. Yeah, it's such a huge issue. I mean, Rehet uh, touched on that being a, a national, uh, indeed international issue. Um, and one thing I didn't touch uh, with Rehet, but we have um, seen it in 
Aotearoa with Matata, and that is the issue of managed retreat in the future. I mean, the retreat of the small settlement of Matata was complicated enough, but are we going to be having to have some really tough conversations pretty soon, Ivan? Yeah, and I think one of the things before we can really have those conversations, and, and I'm probably not, not going to be popular in saying this, is I think we, I don't think we're in a in a position. I think there'll be certain areas that that that, that conversation will need to be had quite soon. Um, you know, the the number of areas will increase over time. Obviously, as these hazards, the frequency and severity of these hazards increase with climate change. Uh, but to really have the conversations really well, what, what our work is showing that we really need better data. Um, you know, some of the modeling assumes simple bathtub models that don't really account for hydrogeology particularly well. Um, so there's still a lot of hard work to be done on the science side. And I say that as a, as a finance person, uh, and I mean the, the, the natural sciences, in terms of these combinations of hazards before we really know when the, the crunch points come. Mm. Imagine that, Verity, uh, mm. being told by your council that you have uh, 12 years to start yeah. thinking about getting out of your local community because um, the soils will be sodden, uh, your little township will no longer be viable in the future. It would be soul-destroying, wouldn't it? Well, especially, like, if your entire family's been there and you've always lived yeah. there and you have that connection to the land. And, like, I think in the report it said 2% of New Zealand players could be affected, and that's actually quite a significant amount of people when you think about it in terms of actual numbers. Oh, yeah. um, Ivan, do you have any idea how much insurance covers the personal responsibility? So if I'm living somewhere and someone tells me that I'm going to get flooded, how much does insurance normally cover in that scenario? Uh, most of my work is is more on the mortgage side, so we're looking at to see um, the impact uh, uh, that that these flooding hazards might have on 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 the on the mortgage market. I mean, obviously, every insurance policy has an excess, and and clearly in New Zealand we're moving more towards risk based pricing. So, so you know, I think the coverage is going to decrease, or there's going to have to be some sort of government intervention on the mortgage uh, on the insurance side. There'd have to be. But I'm looking at the facts here: ten major floods. In the last two years, totaled insured losses of $400 million. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah, sure. And, and you it's know, two years. It's, it's, it's not going to decrease, right? No, uh, it's, it's going to get more and more. So, yeah. Oh. Uh, look, I, I suspect the way this is going to play out, I mean, the reality of the politics is that you know, if you if you don't have insurance, you're you're in technical default of of your mortgage, right? So, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on government to ensure that that uh, insurance coverage um, is maintained. But I suspect this is in in essence just kicking the problem, you know, uh, further down down down. All right. Down well, we saw this with the company. Um Kapiti District Council we a few did. years ago. They tried to put in risk zones for, for sea level rise and, and flooding rise before, and, and I think that was just purely on sea level rise and, and not on um, the flood risk that might come out of the hills with, with heavy rain events. And the kickback from that was amazing. And they had to redo it and, and redraw some of the lines that they'd put on maps to say this area is going to be a problem area in the future because the homeowners who were there, particularly worried about um, uh, house values, That's just right. forced the change. So we'll be seeing more of that, Ivan. 
Absolutely. Look, and, and uh, I mean, you see in Europe, for instance, now, um, when you buy a house, uh, I think it's an EU directive forces you to, to uh, EU directive forces uh, information on those sort of hazards and also the energy efficiency of, of, of the house. And, and I think there's real concerns here about what we call in, in, in climate finance risk, liability risk, right? So, um, you know, if, if, if something isn't disclosed, uh, you know, is, is there a legal recourse? And, and I think this could all sadly get, get 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 quite ugly down the line, right? Will, will banks just become the arbiter of where people can buy them because they'll just go, hmm. we're not going to give you a mortgage for the street, this house in the street? And, and I, so I think that's essentially what, what our project is, is, is the underlying uh, assumption between our project is, I, I, I'm sure there'll be a solution to the insurance issue. And ultimately, banks are going to say, well, you know, the return period, we're flooding every five years. We're just not going to put a, we're not, well, we're not willing to lend here anymore, right? Gosh, um, look, uh, Professor, uh, Associate Professor Ivan diaz rani Kiora, thank you very much for your time. Certainly uh, something worth thinking about. And by the way, Ivan is doing a masked funded study on this very issue, but uh, certainly something to think about. Ten major floods in the last two years. A total insured losses of $400 million. 21 past four, the panel, Verity Johnson and Chris Wikaida with me this afternoon. Lovely to be with you today. Now, we've all seen and felt that mortgage interest rates are going up following increases to the official cash rate. It's led to several major banks hiking up their interest rates over the last month. But for those with mortgages up for renewal, how long should they be locking in a fixed rate for to avoid being stung with higher interest rates? So we thought we'd uh, take the pulse with loan market mortgage broker Paulette Trotter, who's with us. Uh, Kia ora, Paulette. Hey, how are you? Good. So the OCR went up a further 50 basis points last month. How much further do you think the OCR uh, will increase by? Mm, that's a tough one. They're expecting between 0.5 and 0.75 in November. Um, it was always expected 0.5, uh, but with inflation now 0.75. And I've also heard thoughts about another 0.75 in February, so potentially another 1.5%. Oh, yeah. So is it worth people locking in a longer fixed period for their mortgage then, or should they be going for a shorter period but in turn have a lower interest rate? Yeah, good question. Um, It really depends on everyone's individual circumstances. So if you can cope with interest rate risk, i.e. you've got the capacity that if rates are close to 7% in 12 months' time, you can afford it, and you can afford to take the risk, then you'd, you'd do 12 months. But if you're a first-time buyer and you need certainty, um, my recommendation is two years. And if you need lots oh, of certainty, yeah. three years. Um, a lot of my customers, though, even ones that can afford interest rate risk, are, are splitting it. So they're going, well, let's do half the 12 months and half the two years, or even half the 18 and half the two years, I guess the hefty bets about when rates will in fact reverse and go the other way once we put inflation under control. Yeah, interesting. It's two years or um, try split mortgage, Verity Johnson. Um, Paula, I'm curious, how long do you think they will keep rising for? You just mentioned it there, people are like hedging their bets. When would you say... Interest rates. Yeah, interest mm. rates. When do you think, where would you, you know, when would you say it would at least level out or come down? Yeah, um, gosh, I need my crystal ball. Um, <laughs> I reckon we've got six to ten months of pain, um, mm. and then I think it will 
yeah, start either levelling or coming down. Um, the, the rates that increased a couple of weeks ago, my gut from that is that that's already ahead of what's going to happen in November. Um, but I don't think the banks have factored in what could happen in, in February next. So I do believe they're going to go higher again. Right. What um, about, yeah, what about you, Chris? Are you in the situation of... Uh, you, 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 you're getting out the evening calculator and doing a few sums? <laughs> no, I don't have a mortgage at the moment. My money all went into the into the business yeah. um, a while ago, and I've I watched house prices go up after that and go not going near that with a ten foot pole. Mm, mm. So I've been sitting and waiting and looking for quite some time. Yeah. Um, but Paulette, a question for you: I understand that a lot of people have already fixed. So there's a big chunk of the mortgage market which are fixed and they come off maybe towards the middle and end of next year and uh, they could then see rates having gone up quite a bit from when they fixed and the pain is actually delayed. Yes, but and I've got a lot of my customers going, should I break? And they're, they're coming up in July or October next year or whatever. And my generally my advice to that would be I wouldn't break, but I would save the difference now between what your mortgage payment would be if you're on rates now, so you've got a bit of a buffer when they do come up for review in July or September next year, rather than losing that big savings, because I think we're, we are getting close to the top of the rates. Great advice, Paulette. Thanks for sharing that with us uh, um, and our listeners on the panel. Thank you. That's uh, Paulette Trotter, their loan market uh, mortgage broker. So, uh, Chris, I don't want to delve too uh, too personally, but you're sitting and waiting. You've put a lot into the business, and uh, you're seeing uh, how it'll go in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I just looked at the way um, the way pro- prices. It was just a timing thing. Hey, yeah. that just happened. Can't help that. But of course. I thought, oh no, not going there. Yeah. Uh, now, by the way, uh, I have to say that uh, we had a bit of response regarding Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew this was going to be contentious. And, 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 and my partner starts Christmas now. Yes. It makes her happy and is a way of dealing with the general crappy state of the world. If it makes people happy and it gets them through tough times, why not? Who I can't argue with that, really. Yeah. That's, that's a good reason. If it makes her happy, that's cool. Yeah. Who are others to judge, this person says? But, <laughs> Me! But, 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 <laughs> Grinch! <laughs> uh, but Claire says, <laughs> my, my Christmas tree goes up on December the 24th. Oh. <laughs> and stays until the 12th day of Christmas. That is the 6th of January. Uh, I'm with Chris. I don't put up my Christmas tree until after my daughter's birthday on December the 15th. That is really... So I want to ask a question, and I really want your response. Help me out. Mm. I've always struggled with this at home. When does Christmas start? It's a really simple question, and I want an answer. When does Christmas start in your household? Give me guidance. Text me, 2101. You email me, the panel at rnz. .co.nz. Uh, in Verity's house, Christmas starts now. Yep. In Chris's house, it just starts on December the 6th. <laughs> when does Christmas start? I want to know. 27 past four. Hot fudge sauce is not being added to the McFlurry, and customers have taken to social media to express their disappointment at McDonald's after the fast food giant decided to stop adding hot fudge sauce to the McFlurry.
Even the cops have waited, the New Zealand police have waited in, saying Sundays and sources, they go together like driving and wearing a seatbelt. Some say it's a bit like buying a sausage, bread and onions and then not having the tomato sauce. A cheeseburger, no cheese. So what's an example that you've been shortchanged by? This comes on the back of the long-running, highly average, goody-goody gun drops flavour being dropped by Tip Top (laughs) that uh, no one really liked, even though people are complaining about it. So, Verity Johnson, Mm -hmm. needless to say, uh, we're not loving it, said one wag on Facebook. Have you ever had a McFlurry? First question. I have. I had the cream egg McFlurry. Like, um, so... I also think it's really interesting how controversial McFlurry has always been in McDonald's history. I didn't know that. Yeah, like also like there's this running thing about how whenever you go, um, it's always broken, so you can never actually get a McFlurry. <laughs> That's so, what someone said. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I think I've tried maybe like fifty times to get a McFlurry, and I've got like a four strike rate out of fifty. That's, it's, that's come through. Yeah, it never happens. It's always so broken. Are they, what are they, are they good? Yeah, they're great when you can get them, but I've only ever had one in like the last five years. <laughs> because like the I think they turn the machine off at strategic points not to encourage people. Oh. So uh, and also they ration it out just because, you know, they believe in rationing joy. Like you do, Chris, with rationing Christmas, rationing joy. Yeah. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Ooh, ouch. <laughs> ouch. Mm. No, I love you really. Um, but yeah, so the principle is that like they don't let everyone have it. So now this is going to be an extra step of controversy. Thank you for explaining it, Kyoto. I actually needed to know that. Yeah, but I guess for me, Chris, you know, it it, it would really have to be because I'm a big, uh, dare I say it, my goodly treat is KFC. Oh. And I go to KFC. That's the one I'm Well, you're an unhappy camper then, aren't you? Well, no, very happy. Well, am I? Well, no, they've changed the gravy. Well, that's right. Exactly. Which is. So you know that. Yes, and I think that, that there's, there's greater villainy in that than... So I, I have no reference at all for the McFlurry because I've never eaten one. Mm. My, my son devoured lots of them um, for a while, and I just I couldn't take the smell of the hot fudge sauce, so <laughs> I, have, I give no cares at all that it's gone. <laughs> Because I thought it smelt revolting, so I wasn't going to yeah. eat it. I think yeah. it's more like the principle of, uh, you know, because they give you a scoop of ice cream, right, and then they put some sprinkles and stuff mm. on top. But then getting ice cream and sprinkles and no sauce. Uh, uh, I think I think let's let's go back to principles here, Chris McKinder, because that's what we're talking about. It's actually when some something that you know and love and has provided comfort across years, they decide to um, basically pull it from under your feet. That is the hot fudge in the flurry. That is... Good gravy over a potato. That is taking one colour out of your rainbow cocktail from Covenco. It's that we're talking about. Come on, you're not saying you're missing the traffic light, Mayor Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gordon says, Kia Wallace, once upon a time uh, in the 70s in a land far away, Wellington, I bought a cheese and tomato toasted sandwich in which the tomato slices were paper thin. I complained politely to the vendor and asked for my money back. They refused. So I stood outside the takeaway business for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Commitment. And I showed everybody going there the tomato slivers in their toaster sandwiches. That shop lost a little more than half the business takings for that hour. I felt satisfied that I'd made my point, and it cost them a lot more than a refund would have. Gordon, the panel is coming for you. That's the ultimate in Rotten Tomatoes review, isn't it? Oh, my God. That is so ruthless. You're on the panel, RNZ National.